before we get started, I want to point out that these conversations took place over the span of a few months and are not necessarily presented in the order they were recorded. Therefore, we may touch on some, but not all, current events. In addition, when we say women, we mean all women. Although our dialogue often generalizes women into one social group with shared experiences, we want to specifically express our support for women in minorities of race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, etc., and for those using their voices for positive change. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Sarah DeFores. And I'm Victoria Banks. This is The Table, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. Welcome to episode 17, when we have a conversation with stylist to the stars, Brianna Trask. So pull up a chair and get nice and comfy because everyone deserves a seat at The The Table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't don't let them stop. Stop you, don't don't let them stop you. Brianna Trask is a stylist based out of Los Angeles, originally from Northern California. She got her start at 16, styling a fashion show in her hometown, moved to Los Angeles to attend art school, and soon began assisting top celebrity stylists. She currently works for industry heavyweight Matthew Henson, styling a variety of clients, including music stars, professional athletes, A-list actors, etc., for music videos, commercials, magazine features, and more. Brianna has a passion for creativity and inclusivity, and strives to better the lives of others through her work and story. After recording, we did have to go back and bleep or edit out Brianna and Matt's clients' names in order to protect their privacy, so we encourage you to use your imagination and fill in the blanks. Okay guys, we have Brianna Trask in the house, and she is a stylist based out of LA, Brianna and I met when I was a little baby songwriter artist, uh, brand new to LA, living there, and she helped me um, dress slightly better than my dorky college freshman self. It was fantastic. She's actually from my hometown, um, and we're super excited to have her because we know nothing about uh, being a stylist. So Brianna, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. We're excited to have you. Um, So they got a little breakdown of your career, but I want to know from your mouth what your story is, kind of the bullet points, the things that you find really important to how you got to where you are today. Um, So, you know, it was kind of, geez, such a journey (laughs) to get to where I am today. when I was 15, I was extremely depressed to the point where I was on antidepressants for a while. Um, it all kind of stemmed from me losing a lot of my friends. Uh, my family was kind of going through some stuff. There was a lot of tension between my parents and really my whole family for that matter. And around the same time, I had lost my childhood dog and that completely destroyed me and my family. It was really, really hard to get through that. So I spent the whole summer kind of feeling like I was alone and I had no one to confide in. And to be totally honest, there were a lot of moments that I contemplated taking my life because of all of that. So when the end of the summer came, I was begging my parents to let me go homeschooled and they were really reluctant. But eventually, you know, my mom agreed and 
shortly after the school year started, I realized that I was going to be able to finish my junior and senior year in a matter of months. And that makes me sound way smarter than I am. Uh, it's pretty easy to finish high school early if you want to. I, I was not a straight A student by any means. But by the end of the year, I was introduced to this local photographer and she was the coolest person ever in my eyes. She had this insane collection of clothing and accessories. And I mean like tubs and tubs of super cool stuff. And I used to always watch her on Facebook and MySpace, whatever the social media platform was back then, uh, because she would do shoots with girls I went to high school with. And one I specifically remember is a mermaid themed shoot. And I just remember being totally blown away by it because the makeup and the styling was so cool and fun. And that's the thing I loved most about magazines back then. And to have that happen in my town was uh, pretty cool. So anyways, when I met her, she had heard that I was into fashion and mentioned she was doing a fashion show and asked if I wanted to be a part of it. And obviously I jumped at that because how fucking cool. Um, but we spent a couple of months together preparing for it. And when the weekend finally came, we literally spent three days straight putting this thing together. We got no sleep whatsoever. And she pretty much let me have free range of the styling. It was insane. I mean, she helped here and there, but she was like, if this is what you want, go for it, you know, like have fun. And so at 16 and a half, 17 years old, I basically got to dress all 30 girls and each of them had three different looks and there were different trend categories, which is an insane amount of outfits. Uh, It was truly the hardest I had worked ever, but it was, uh, it was so, so much fun. And by the end of the weekend, I was just in tears just because I was feeling this kind of happiness that I had a little bit forgotten about. And I just remember being on the phone with my sister, just like, this is what I want to do forever. Like, this is what I want to feel forever. And that kind of really jumpstarted it for me because I didn't really know it was a career up until that point. So it kind of opened a whole new door for me. And shortly after, I moved to Santa Rosa to do a year in a junior college because I was only 17. I wasn't quite ready to move to LA yet. Um, But the second I turned 18, I left to LA, started an art school, and gave my number to basically anyone in the industry that would take it. I was practically begging for experience. Um, But I... think that that's kind of what really set me apart from my peers was because I was willing and happy to just put on someone's socks or get coffee. Uh, I mean, I would have had a positive attitude wiping someone's butt, but people really recognized that and they appreciated it and it got me a lot of jobs uh, because of it. But also at the same time, me and my then roommate and best friend would literally put together shoots ourselves all the time. We would just find models from school or social media and she would shoot it and I would style it from all of our closets combined. And I gained a lot of experience that way. And then eventually I 
got a job at Topshop in their studio department and it brought me into contact with a stylist named Mercedes Natalia. And she kind of gave me basically my real first assisting job. And it was for a nylon magazine shoot that was Barbie themed. It was so much fun. It was so creative. It is seriously a memory that I'll cherish forever because it was just, it was so, so much fun. The ball kind of kept rolling from there though. Um, because soon more people were asking me to assist. My number got passed around a lot. And before you know it, I was assisting anyone and everyone working with celebrities on things like music videos or magazine covers or commercials. I mean, you name it, I probably worked on it. And now I've been assisting Matthew Henson for about four years. Um, That's really grown into uh, such a true partnership. Um, I mean, yeah, we've been working together for so long. I, I love him, but yeah, that's kind of how I got to where I am. And you know, the rest is history. That's amazing. What an amazing story. (laughs) Like the, the difference one person can make in somebody else's life with just helping you find your bliss, like finding your mission, um, giving you an opportunity in that, uh, and how much that turned around everything about how you were feeling. I think that's so beautiful. I think a lot about, as a songwriter, what is it that makes me happy? And I feel like the things that make us happiest are the things that we can lose ourselves in, where we're not thinking about ourselves, we're just so absorbed in what we're doing. It sounds like that's what that was for you when you discovered that. It was, yeah. And I mean, to be so young and so depressed and so hopeless that, you know, life wasn't going to get better, it's really hard. I feel like um, there's a lot of kids out there that, you know, when you're that young, it's like, that's your world. That's your life that you can't see beyond that. It feels like it's going to last forever. And I just couldn't see beyond that for so long. And then to meet her and have that experience, it was, yeah, it was definitely life-changing. Very much saved my life for sure. I just want to thank you for being so open and honest about that because not a lot of people are. And that is something that so many people, especially creatives, struggle with because creatives, we don't usually fit the mold of the people who are like really academic and we can follow that like four-year college, get a job, like have the the career with the salary life. And it's really important to talk about like I know myself I don't think I ever talked about it just because we never got there but my senior year of high school I was super depressed that whole senior year and kind of like you like I had some things like I started working in LA in music when I was 15 and I didn't go to school most of the time and so I didn't really get to have a solid group of peers and Then, you know, just some things with what I was working on. I was in this space that I couldn't get out of. And one of the biggest things that really helped me was knowing that I was going to move to LA and be closer to music at a school where people were really encouraged to be creative and do random things. And that I was going to take all these classes about creative things that I'd always wanted to do. And um, similar to you, like I didn't, I knew I had a passion for music, but it wasn't until I was. 15 and did a couple open mic nights and um they were my first time I have really bad stage fright actually which is something that people always don't think about when it comes to to entertainers um and so it took me years for my parents to convince me to do it and the second night I did one a couple producers from LA happened to be in the crowd because their 
their band's tour got canceled and they were grabbing a beer. And three months later, I was at a showcase in Colorado. And I, up until that point, knew I wanted to do music, but I did not see a feasible avenue to do it professionally. And that one thing was like, hey, this is a world and like, we think you are good enough to do this. And I was like <laughs> going hard after that. Like you couldn't stop me. I wasn't going to school. I was I was doing my own homework on the bus, you know, like whatever. Um, and I think the fact that you're so openly talking about that is probably going to help a lot of people who can't see past that little experience. But do you have any tricks? I mean, do you still fall into some of that sometimes? And if you do, do you have any ways that you kind of have hijacked your brain to get out of it or deal with it? I mean, absolutely. I feel like, you know, depression never goes away. Me and my best friend talk about this all the time because she experienced a lot of the same things that I did. And we both completely agree that it's not something you just kind of get over. It's more so you learn how to live with it because, you know, it's really easy for it to creep back in. And I think what I do is if I'm starting to feel depressed, um, honestly, like I'll snuggle with my dogs. Um, they make me the happiest. I love my pets so much. Um, and then just doing art, whether it's, I do all kinds of art, whether it's like drawing or like sculpting or, you know, like I like to make like furniture sometimes, just any outlet because, you know, styling, I have to have, be able to shop and like be able to dress someone. So I need to be able to have something tangible that I can do whenever I want to kind of just feel happy and those are things that I love to do. Yeah, and that's something a little bit different from the styling too, because like when your interest and in, in your hobby becomes your career, it's almost like you have to find a different angle mm -hmm. to express yourself in that's not, that's not like you're working 24 <laughs> Yeah, <seven>. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. Um, it can be very draining too, my job. It is... Uh, a lot a lot of really long hours sometimes there's been times where I've been on set for like 20 hours straight or like an overnight shoot at that so you know I work all day and then go straight to an overnight shoot until like 9 a.m in the morning um but it's always it's still rewarding to this day well and that kind of pattern as well can be that that doesn't help when you're talking about you know being prone to depression or or any mental issues just because the abnormal hours and sleeplessness and things like that can contribute to that so i guess it, so are you very sort of conscious about how you structure your time when you're when you have you know when you're not doing that i do always try to make sure i have time for myself if i can of course you know as of right now, with everything with COVID, jobs are kind of spread out. So it is very easy to, it's busy, but like not super busy. I at least have a day to myself. And when it wasn't though, and it was kind of back to back, I just had to be able to find even an hour just to take a bath or make sure I got an extra hour of sleep. Uh, recently this year, I got into cycling and exercising, making sure I'm taking my vitamins and, you know, really taking care of my body so that that can feel good first, because I have to be able to make it through the 18 hour shoot physically as well as mentally. And I imagine when we were chatting about how your, when your passion becomes your job, sometimes you have to find other ways to keep yourself creative and stimulated. Um, I imagine that 
friends and family and people you know or that just just meet you they want to talk about what you do because they find it so interesting at least i would if i (laughs) if i didn't do this and and didn't you know just had a nine to five job and was never in entertainment i would probably want to ask you a million questions but it also probably means that people don't realize how overstimulated you are with with that one thing and it can feel a little ongoing i know for me like my friends and family i don't come from a musical family entertainment family at all and like the amount of times my family's like you should write a song about this here's a title for that like play us a song play, you know and it feels <laughs> like, like it's so easy <laughs> yeah and i just i'm like this is so fun this is my passion but i i don't want to touch a guitar I don't want to think about a rhyme. I don't want to listen to the radio. I just want to chill. Um, Do you have like ways, like do you enjoy it when people get really excited about that kind of thing? Or do you feel like I've kind of figured out a way to to be like, oh yeah, blah, 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 and cut it off? Yeah, you know, it's kind of a mixture of both um, because I do not talk about what I do to anybody. I don't post it online really. I you, I guess I'm very modest in that sense that, um, not that I'm trying to keep it private. It's just that I don't ever want to come off. Like I'm showing off. (laughs) That's what it feels like to me. And I don't knock anybody that, you know, posts about who they work with or the styling that they do. That's, I totally get it. It just doesn't feel right for me. Um, so when my family does talk about it or my friends, they'll like text me and like ask me all these questions. It kind of feels good to have them be so excited because it's like, okay, you get to be excited for me and think that what I'm doing is cool. But you know, since I don't allow myself to do that, um, but there are times where, yeah, people will be like, oh, uh, should I wear this or we should go shopping or help me do this, help me do that. And I'm just like, I really want to break right now <laughs> you're like i don't get paid an experience anymore <laughs> yeah exactly so um we have a lot of conversations on this podcast with people obviously in the music industry that are kind of within our circle and we've talked a lot about how things are different for a woman in that journey than they are for a man so do you see that in your realm do you see biases, imbalances, uh, situations that make it harder for you as a woman? Uh, are there any things like that to navigate or is it easier to be a woman? What, what do you see? Um, that's it. Yeah, that's an interest, interesting question in my field uh, because so my boss is a man. Um, love him so much. Honestly, the best person I've ever worked for in my whole career. So I feel like I get to see both sides. Uh, it kind of feels like if you want it bad enough, it's easy for both of us. I really don't feel like I've been discriminated too much as a woman in my field, unless it's by another woman. I do find that there are a lot of women in my field that kind of feel threatened and they don't, uh, they kind of feel like you could take what is theirs. And to touch on like all my bosses before my current one, they were all women. And there's maybe I could say one or two that I worked for that I felt like really wanted me to learn and wanted me to succeed. The rest just kind of felt like they were putting me down or trying to put me in my place. They would talk to me really ugly. They would curse at me or be like, why'd you do that? You're stupid. You know, say really ugly things. And for me, I got into this job because I love it. So the second that happened, I was like, I'm done working for you. I'm sorry. 
we need to move on. Um, and nine times out of 10, they would try to get me to stay. And I would have to explain to them that you can't talk to people like that. But then of course they would still do that after I left because I would keep in touch with some other assistants. Um, but that was not really for men. I don't really, I feel like most of the men in my industry are, they're not straight. <laughs> um, it is a very different vibe. I think I've met maybe one straight male stylist. Um, so that's been kind of interesting, but they're always nice. They're always welcoming. There are a lot of women that are welcoming and want you to learn, but there is a very high competition energy when it comes to like women to women. Are you tending to style more men or more women um, when you're working or is it pretty much even? Um, so right now it's mostly men. My boss doesn't really care to style women. It's just a lot when you do it. You know, you have to think of like the accessories and women have so much extra stuff. A male is a lot simpler. You can have more fun with it. Um, it's just too stressful for women. Um, but I have styled women in the past and it can be fun if you're with the right person, the right team. Um, otherwise it can be really, really stressful. Well, it's interesting to me that you had bosses that talk to you that way because that's you know it reminds me of what's that what's that movie devil wears prada yeah <laughs> devil wears prada and i'm kind of like oh that's such a like, sort of stereotypical way that things work in fashion and it's one of those things that makes you ask the question do people talk to people like that in other lines of work and if they do, they probably have legal proceedings against them because you can't, like you're not supposed to be able to do that at work, but it's like a different set of rules in entertainment industry, fashion industry, stuff like that. It's like, it's like it doesn't follow the same norms and expectations and rules that we have. Like if you went to work at a doctor's office and your boss did that to you, I really don't <laughs> think that, you know, yeah. I don't think that would be acceptable. Not at all. Um, in this, I, it is very much a cliche in this industry to have people talking like that to their assistants. And the only thing I can really say about that is that they were talked to that way by their bosses. It's such like a deep rooted thing. You know, that stereotype came from somewhere because it actually existed. And at the very beginning of it, I feel like when styling was happening and designing, you know, it was normal to speak that way because I have actually no idea. I have no reason why it was okay. But then they carry it with them when the assistant grows up and has an assistant and they think it's okay to talk crazy. Um, but I think my generation is, at least I would hope, <laughs> is more so being like, that's not okay. It sucks though, because there are a lot of assistants that I see that really, really want to get ahead. So they're willing to put up with it. They're willing to let the head stylist talk to them so crazy to the point that they go home and cry all night long uh, just because they want to work with who they're working for or, you know, as far as like celebrities go. And it's just not okay. I, I definitely don't agree with it. And I feel like if you do truly love what you do, success will find you in its own way. And not even everybody's version of success is so different. You know, some people think making a lot of money is being su successful. Some people think happiness is being successful. And to me, I measure success by just 
loving what I do and being happy and it loving my team. And as long as we're all doing what we love and we're all happy, then that is success. And so I think that's why I was able to draw that hard line. Like you are not allowed to speak to me that way. You, I've even had times where people offered to pay me more. Um, and I still was just like, this is not, not what I want. I don't want to go home and be stressed all night and come to work and be stressed. This Like I would have a nine to five if I wanted that. Um, but I really do feel for the interns and assistants that put up with it every day. I will say that this is probably one of my favorite topics. We haven't touched on it too much. And I think your situation and field is the perfect one too. But um, I did when I was younger and starting out work with a producer who did talk to me in a similar way, especially when I was tracking vocals. Um, and I, I was so young and I was so new. I didn't come up from a family that did music. I didn't come from any kind of place that was like an entertainment central city. I mean, you know, we're from the same area and they're like, you're like the black sheep. You're the unicorn sheep with tap shoes on. Like, it's just not a thing. And, um, and it took me a very long time because for a while I just really thought I've always wanted to be even when I was a little kid I don't know why but I've always definitely been more mature and I wanted to see be seen as like I can I can hang you know like I can do this I I can do this and um, I really thought it was like a, if you can't take the heat get out of the kitchen and I was like no I can take the heat I can do this you know like I'm gonna I'm gonna show them I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna do it well and then it wasn't until I started working with some other people and it was a big part of the reason I started working in Nashville um, I remember the first time I didn't really work with producers for a while after that. And it was something that contributed to my really tough year. Um, and it, it completely shattered the way that I thought about myself and the way that I viewed my talent. It really destroyed my confidence in the things that I was most confident in before, which was like my voice and my delivery and my artistic like vision. Um, and then when I got to Nashville, I remember the first time I worked with a producer um, and they were so nice to me. And I, I like didn't know what to do with that. I I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to speak to them like in the session. Um, and it like blew my world up for a minute. And then I remember talking and this person's like my age. I remember talking to them at one point we we're hanging out and I was like, hey, like I really appreciate you being so nice, blah, blah, blah. And they looked at me like I was insane. They're like, what do you mean? You're thanking me for being nice to you? <laughs> and I always think about that. Like it should never be an out of norm thing to be nice to somebody. And I'm always so hyper aware, especially of young artists, of the team that's around them because of that. And if I see something shady, I'm going to like, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to talk to someone I trust on their team. Um, because like there are still things that come up for me now years later that I really that shouldn't be an insecurity for me. Um, and I appreciate that was very long, but I appreciate you talking about that kind of thing um, because it, especially in creative fields where we're told that, you know, you get paid in exposure. Like we want you to do this for free or for little money and talk to you like this and treat you like this um, and have you work these insane hours. But it's like, it's like good for your exposure. You can put it on your resume. Um, that is not, increasingly our generations are not, tolerating that 
and we're also demanding to be treated better and we are very secure in setting boundaries which I love we're a generation that loves therapy and I'm here for it (laughs) absolutely (laughs) that's what I I was gonna say like where does where did that come from Brianna what's what's your personality been like growing up have you always been good at drawing your boundaries or is that something you've had to learn and how did you learn it um gosh that's a good question I don't think I was always good at that um I feel like when I was younger, um, I craved attention from anyone and everyone who would give it to me. And because of that, I, a lot of people walked all over me from, you know, mainly boys. Um, I did have a lot of good friends, but it was more so I just wanted to be liked so bad. So I didn't have those boundaries. And when someone would treat me like crap or hurt me, it was just like, okay, like, you said sorry, it's fine, you know, and that's so terrible. I had probably the worst self-esteem as a kid, so it really wasn't until um, I probably found what I really, really wanted in life and found a purpose and what made me happy, and it was at that point that I was like, this is the reason that I chose to stay alive. I'm not going to have anything, you know, take this away from me or ruin it or, um, you know, taint it in any way, so I think that's probably when I started to get those boundaries to protect that. What about you, Sarah? How did you get that ability? I think uh, similar to Brianna, it was was a lot of trial and error and a lot of, I don't ever like the idea of an insecurity or somebody else being able to take away my passion and the thing that I love. And I'm similar to Brianna in the way too that I really, I just wanted people to like me so bad. And I always felt like such an outsider I always, I also had an older sister who was like super pretty and super like, she was very nice and very shy too. So she was always in like a um, a popular crowd um, and also very quiet. Like she too struggled with, you know, people walking over her because she was so nice and so quiet. Um, but I, I also always like, always wanted to be seen as mature and like I could hang, you know, that similar thing. I wanted people to like me so bad. And I, I think creatives in general, we tend to be old souls. And I found it really hard to connect on a lot of planes with my peers. Um, and I would like, give all the information and help anybody and it would it became a running joke in my family that like you know I'm the ther- the group therapist like people come to me when they need something and then they like peace out and so I had to learn like that's not it was never fulfilling even when someone needed me um it felt like they liked me and I equated that with love and attention but it's so fleeting and you can't base your own personal view on the attention others give you or how much they need you that's not sustainable and it's not healthy maybe it comes from finally getting a grasp of respecting yourself part a big part of that is figuring out what you want to do and finding what you want to do and being on fire for that and and once you are you respect yourself enough to value yourself and that gives you the ability to create those boundaries. I just think it's a really interesting question. So that's why I asked. I was curious. What about you? Well, I, I mean, so it's it took me a really long time, but I think I think in my 40s is where I'm finding that. Um, because I grew up, a, my 
parents very much sort of raised me in a little bit of an authoritarian way where I had to listen and do what they said and um, achieving and getting approval was the big thumbs up. And so I learned to do that, which meant that I would bend myself over backwards for to accommodate people around me and, and not cause any problems and went through some, frankly, abusive relationships because of that. But I think that for me, it's in getting really good at what I do and knowing that I'm good at what I do enough to be able to like teach it and and that kind of thing and and that has given me the confidence to say hey wait I'm I'm valuable here I have something to contribute and I can walk away from this situation if it's not serving me and there's no reason why I should have to put up with anything that I don't agree with um but it's taken me till my 40s so I just found that interesting like what you were saying obviously like therapy is a part of that too and because we are so much more able to talk about mental health publicly and own the fact that we go to therapy own the fact that we have these struggles I think that's making people able to get to that level quicker and younger. I think so too. I mean, my parents were not, uh, they didn't talk about mental health at all. And uh, when I was depressed, you know, it, there was part of it that they were like, you know, just like, stop crying. It's just school drama. They didn't say that directly, but it's how I felt, you know, just get over it. You're in high school. Things will get better. But um, I think now, and I still talk to my dad and my mom about it all the time. And I think my mom's more aware about mental health now. My dad's still kind of learning a little, but I'm just like, you know, you need to be aware of that stuff. We have to take care of our mental. We have to pay attention to that, especially with kids. I always make sure to check in with my niece and talk to her about that stuff. If she's doing okay, if she's happy, or has she ever felt depressed? And uh, just to make her know that that's really important to talk about that and it's okay it's always a safe place to talk about it I think you know back then it was like if you had mental health issues you were crazy and <laughs> you know it's not that way anymore that is such a good point because I think that highlights just how much growth and self-work you've done that you're so open about this when you weren't raised in a place that was aware of it because I and I'll tell anybody if we're having this conversation, like my parents put me in therapy when I was um, young because I was coming home from school every day crying. I was having issues with my peers that just, I and they were like, you know what, we're going to get some help. And even though my parents were super open and willing to check in, um, I still felt a lot of resistance internally for wanting to seek seek out help. And I'm like, now I'm like, I have a session coming up on Thursday. I'm stoked. I'm ready. I love it. Like, let's do it. Let's do the work. It's so fun. But it took me a while to, for a minute there, I would be like, yes, therapy, we love it. But I would be like too scared to to do it myself, um, even coming from a family that supported that kind of thing. But I, I love, Vic, what you were saying about a lot of, of your confidence coming from finding what you love and being really good at it. Because that in and of itself is an act of self-love chasing your dream and being good at it. Um, and I agree that's a lot of where my confidence and my boundaries come from. Um, Brianna, do you, you've mentioned that that's absolutely where it came from, but I'm curious if you've had to put up certain boundaries with even clients, like on the client side, because that's a whole other dynamic where it's, they hired you, but you're not theirs. That one's definitely a lot trickier because um, technically 
I am the assistant to the head stylist. Uh, there are a lot of times where he trusts me to manage a lot of things on my own. And I do become that sort of face and representative of him. And there have been times, yes, where that we have had clients that have talked to me crazy or, you know, expected me to do crazy things at the drop of a hat. And I think the thing I love most about my boss is that he's the first one to step in and be like, okay, we're not working with them ever again. He is very much like, you will not disrespect my assistant. You will not speak to her that way. Or, you know, that if they ask us to work with them again, he's like, no, I can't. That's, it doesn't matter how much money you offer us. Like we're not working with you guys. Sometimes he won't even say exactly what it is. He'll just, you know, stop the relationship right there. And I love that because it feels like he's, you know, protecting me and he cares about me and how I'm being treated because I am not the one to be able to say something like that. Unfortunately, that is kind of where I have to curb my boundary because that is the client. He is paying me to be there and I am just the assistant at the end of the day. I, I can't tell you, you know, I can't say don't speak to me that way. It's just, which is crazy. I should be able to say that, but you know, it's, it's different. It's a work setting. It's, um, I have to be professional. I'm representing Matthew. And, um, but he's, if I go home and I tell him what happened, he's the first one to be like, that is not okay. It sounds like he's a great boss. He really is. Honestly, I, I hope he listens to this, but no, I tell him all the time that he is, he's so wonderful. He truly wants me to learn. He wants me to do good. He wants me to succeed and, I'm going to die with him. I tell him all the time, we are going to, we're going to be buried in the same grave. I'm never leaving you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love the, seeing those dynamics because we talk so much about the issues that women face and it can feel, it's very much uh, like a, a microcosm of this because that's what we're here to talk about. But there are so many wonderful men that are such great allies that are there to support us and help us and create space for us. And when you find those people, it's like a holy grail, hallelujah, angel choir singing moment. <laughs> it is. And how did you guys get connected? And what was the evolution of your relationship? Was it kind of immediate, we're best friends, we're on the same page. It's like we've known each other a million lifetimes. Or was it like a slow, hey, I like you. Now I trust you. Now I freaking love you. We're going to die together. Like <laughs> So it was kind of a funny story. I was working at Topshop at the time when we met and my coworker, was about to do a shoot with him because uh, she was doing assisting at the same time. Um, and he was doing, I think it was a cover for, um, oh, it was for Complex Magazine with and he needed an extra assistant. And I was like, absolutely, I'll go with you. So we went to set and I met him and we vi I really liked him. We vibed a little bit, but I was like the second assistant. So we didn't talk too much. Um, and then it, I didn't even hear from him until like, maybe almost a year later and he can because he lives in new york so he rarely came out to la for stuff and then he got a new client and he needed help and my friend wasn't able to help him so he called me and it was like after that we just that was it we clicked we were such a good team he felt like he could trust me right away i mean uh, the job that we worked on was um for and it was for his music video and it was like right at the point when he was like cutting his hair and he uh, was totally changing his image and 
that was one of our first jobs with him and he Matthew had to leave back to New York and he left me on set by myself with this new client I just started working with Matthew and he felt like he could trust me enough so that was um, kind of a compliment in itself to be able to have that happen and then it was just like he was hitting me up all the time and that was like four years ago. I'm always curious about this. I don't know if I've asked this question at all um, on this podcast, but how do you feel about validation? Because to me, I feel like people see it as such a dirty word, such a, you shouldn't need validation from other people. But I think there's a lot of healthy aspects to positive validation. And by that, I mean, when someone you trust and respect puts trust in you and says, hey, I'm stamping my name on you. I'm saying, yes, I like this person. They are talented. Um, I think it can do wonders for your growth as a creative and as a person. You know, I feel like we would all love to say that we don't need validation and we can lift ourselves up. <laughs> That's great. Obviously, we should be able to do that some of the time, but to be totally real, I love it. And I feel like I need it sometimes to get that confidence in myself. It's not, it depends who it's from, I guess, you know, to have it in that healthy aspect. Like I don't need it from a stranger. I need it. I don't necessarily need, I shouldn't say that either, but I want it from my boss or my clients or, you know, even my friends or my family. I feel like in those aspects, it's healthy. It's healthy because it does build you up and it makes it kind of affirms what you've already been telling yourself. And we all we all need that sometimes. You know, we all want to hear that, like, you're you did good. I don't think that it's not healthy. I don't think we should knock ourselves for wanting that at all. Vic, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think when you see other people putting trust in you, it helps you trust yourself more. So it kind of gives you a cue for taking yourself more seriously and giving yourself more props and responsibility and maybe risking more and doing more. And But with that said, too, um, I think it's important to touch on criticism. You know, mm -hmm. it as important as it is to get that validation or to get the praise that you're doing a good job, it's very much important to get the criticism and to be open to hearing it. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of people struggle with that. And I myself, there's been times where even my friends, you know, they'll give me a little bit of a critique and I've definitely gotten defensive before. But as far as a work setting goes, you need to be able to take that critique. You can always learn. Even my boss, you know, he's always learning something new. You're never going to know everything, especially in a creative industry. You know, you're, everything's constantly changing. You're constantly getting inspired by something new, by somebody new. And you need to be able to hear that criticism and you need to have people around you that feel comfortable enough to give it to you. I wonder about that all the time with people who are higher up and celebrities. Like, do they have people around them that are being totally honest? Like, yo, this sucks. Why? Like, this isn't you. Why are you putting this out? You know, we need that as humans. Yes. So I'm curious what your dynamic is like with your clients. Like, what kind of role do you find yourself playing with them? Do you feel like a cheerleader sometimes? Do you feel like you're trying to get them to push the envelope sometimes? Like, do you have clients that are self-conscious and maybe reticent to try something new? What's your back and forth like? Even the most confident person is self-conscious. Um, 
which I think is major to point out because especially in the age of social media, you don't, you see everybody that's looking perfect and happy and everything, but they are self-conscious. <laughs> um, a huge part of my job is being a cheerleader and that, you know, telling them, telling them that it's okay to do something that's maybe not totally comfortable to them or um, to push the envelope. But also with that said, there is a time or place and you kind of have to gauge that as a stylist. You have to gauge what mood your client's in or what the project is. Like if you can really push it that extra bit. But I do think that with Matthew, he's really good at that. And he'll ask me all the time what I think. Like he'll send me stuff and if it's really crazy, I'm gonna be like, yeah, he's not gonna wear that Matthew. <laughs> or um, he'll send it and I'm like, you know what? I feel like we could totally make that work. And it's just about the right place, right time, right mood. And It must be hard to know the difference sometimes between encouraging somebody to try something new and stepping on them, being too pushy. You have to, yeah, you really do have to be careful. You just have to be good at reading cues, I feel like, in my world, because there have been times where, you know, I've watched Matthew um, really push, like, just try it on. You'll like it. Just try it on, give it a try, and they'll put it on, being super reluctant at first, and then they'll put it on and be like, oh, this is amazing. I look so good. But then there are times where they're just like, no, I'm not doing that. And then we're both really good at like, okay, like that's your boundary. We'll stop pushing it, whatever you want to do. Cause at the end of the day, we do want them to be happy and, you know, we want them to be comfortable and we're there to make them feel good and look good. So. And you're also kind of getting to know them and their brand, right? So this is not just you choosing things to put on somebody. This is you getting to know their brand and trying to step into their skin a little bit, right? And figure out what works. Yeah. And what could work for the future, like where to take them or, um, like I said, the right time or place for certain things, you know, like you wouldn't do, a red carpet outfit and a magazine outfit in the same category. Like with a magazine, you have more room to be creative, have fun. Like let's do something out of the box. But red carpet is obviously more toned down. You don't want to get too crazy. But yeah, you have you definitely have to take into account the client and their personality, what they like, what their brand is, because you don't want to veer off that otherwise they'll just look crazy and it's gonna be your fault i'm i'm finding little parallels like as a songwriter when we're working with artists and we have to step into what they're doing on their project at that moment in time and what they're willing to say and what they're not and trying to make it better yeah yeah I mean, that's super interesting because there are a lot of really personal songs out there. So how do you as a songwriter gauge, you know, are you feeling bold enough that you could tell them, like, I know you want to say this, you should say this, even if it might be uncomfortable, you know, gauging that has got to be like really interesting because that's really personal. (laughs) And sometimes it's the opposite too, where you're like, that lyric is not the best lyric, but they are so hung up on it because it's so authentic to who they are. You're like, I'm not going to push this one. This is you all the way. It might not be me, but I'm not the artist. So you run with that. And that is dope. That it makes me curious. I don't know if you still work with, I mean, non-celebrities and more kind of like everyday people. Cause I know that when we met, we were connected through your 
cousin, I think, um, who's such a sweetheart, an awesome hairstylist. Shout out Brittany. Yes, Brittany, we love you. <laughs> we'll put a link to her her stuff in the, in the description. Um, I was just looking for someone to help me kind of streamline my look. And um, you did that. You were so helpful. I still have some of the pieces that we got like years ago, 100% out of season. I don't even care. I still wear them. Um, but one of the things that I always held on to from that one experience that we really spent like a day in person together was I had always been so self-conscious of my shoulders and my arms. I'd always like had broad shoulders. You know, people would be like, oh, you got swimmer's shoulders. And it always made me so self-conscious. And I remember we were in a store once and you pointed out something that was like off the shoulder. And I was like, oh no, I don't know. I have kind of broad shoulders. I don't, I don't know. And you were like, I think broad shoulders are so cool. Like I love it when people show off their collarbone and their broad shoulders. I think it's so bold. And I was like, okay, like I'll try it on. And it made me feel so good. I wear off the shoulder stuff all the time. Like years later, that is something that you changed about me that I like was always self-conscious about to the point where I'm like, Hell yeah, big shoulders. Here we are. Let's go. And I always think about that in the way that I talk to artists too, because I want I want them to feel confident in that weird line that they threw out that someone else might be like, oh, that's that's stupid. I want them to like hit and miss because it, it builds confidence. And usually that's exactly where the brilliance comes from. Do you take into consideration like how much what you do can shape someone's view of themselves and what's possible in the future and what's possible for them to evolve into? Yeah, I mean, I've always had the motto, like, if I look good, I feel good. Because, you know, I feel like a lot of people can say that they don't care about their style. They'll wear whatever they grab from their closet or just throw something on. But it's also, even when you just throw something on, that's your identity. That is what people see. That is you know, they don't hear you talk first. They don't, um, read whatever you wrote. You know, they see you, they walk up to you, they see what you're wearing and they kind of paint a picture of what you might be like. And I think that is very important in our self-confidence. And so I try I personally, if I'm having my own client, I definitely want to put them in something that's going to build them up and make them feel good. And like with you, you, I don't ever recall you telling me that you were self-conscious about your shoulders. So I probably didn't say it. I would love for people to tell me like something that they're self-conscious about that. If that was like the very first question I could ask in someone be like, just tell me what you're self-conscious about. And then I can find a way to make you not self-conscious about that by wearing this or doing that. And then maybe that could help build their confidence in that. Um, so that's really interesting to learn that about you. That makes me feel really good <laughs> that you now feel good about your shoulders. And I think everybody is beautiful. Honestly, I thing I draw most and make most is a woman's naked body in all shapes, all sizes. I love it. I think it's so beautiful. And I love that clothes are there to just highlight that. You know, they're not there to conceal anything in my opinion. It's more so to just enhance the beauty that's already there. So I think that's really important as a stylist. And I think a lot of stylists can agree to that, um, that clothes play a huge role in our self-confidence and finding you have to tailor everything to that person's specific body type because obviously what looks good on one person isn't going to look good on another and you have to take that into consideration. I want to know from your perspective, your own career or wider in the industry, what 
you hope to accomplish and see change and evolve? You know, I'm still on a day-to-day basis. I'm figuring out what I want for the future, what I want for my future, where I want to end up. Um, when I was younger and I figured out what I wanted to do, it was like, okay, I got to get to school. I got to meet these people. I got to assist. I got to intern. I got to do all these jobs. And then that was kind of like it, you know, now I'm at the end point of my goal and I'm experiencing it and I don't know what's next. And it could be, um, that I stay in styling. It could be a different avenue of fashion. It could be, you know, something totally different. I have no freaking idea. Um, as far as like what I would want to change in the industry, I would love to see people be more like my boss. I would love to inspire more people to be like that. And if that's me finding an intern or an assistant and then treating them kind and showing them it can be that way to where then they do that when they're, you know, they're older and assisting or even just talking to my peers and letting them know my story like they're talking to you crazy don't put up with that there are other people out there you can work for if you want it bad enough you will succeed you do not need that person um i think that is definitely the biggest thing i would want to see change because i hate seeing people talk crazy to other people it just grinds my gears (laughs) you can make it happen and you don't need people whose goal is to drag you down to make themselves feel better. There's a way to do it and there are good people. You don't need a man. You don't need a woman. (laughs) You don't need anybody but yourself and a dream. And that is it. (laughs) Let's do our rapid fires. Who's your favorite creator at the moment? You know, I'm really into interior right now. Uh, Interior design. It's, I've been buying interior design books like crazy. So I can't really peg one person off the top of my head. Um, just being creative in interior right now is <laughs> is kind of That's it. so interesting, a yeah. different side of it. Yeah. You're really talented at it too. Like you were mentioning, you refurbish furniture and build stuff. I'm like, I told her before we started this, I'm kind of obsessed with her Instagram page because it is so aesthetically pleasing. Everybody go look, go look up Brianna's Instagram page. (laughs) It's in the notes. We'll put it in the episode notes. It will spark joy. Um, (laughs) What is your favorite trend? Casual. I love casual meeting elevated. So, you know, a hoodie with maybe some boots and some jeans and a trench coat that is my favorite trend it's comfortable it's cute perfect okay so what about a trend that you wish would stop oh my god the yeezys i cannot stand the and i'm sorry if you guys like them but i cannot stand the yeezys i can't stand the whole collection there's maybe been like one or two jackets that i'm like okay that's cool but I can't that just and supreme supreme oh my goodness get the hell out of here those mile long lines for supreme no um <laughs> the last time that you failed there have been like s- small things like in my, I try to be as meticulous and organized as possible even ask my boss like he can't even handle my organization sometimes but there are times where I slip the ball and you know something misses or I f- forget to return something. I think maybe one of my biggest mistakes was um, something either didn't get returned or got ruined. I can't quite remember exactly what it was. And it was like a thousand dollars or something like that. Um, 
it, the situation ended up getting resolved, but in that moment, I was shitting bricks because I had to tell him that I fucked up on something. And when you don't do it, not to sound cocky, but when you don't do it that often and you have to like admit that you fucked up something, it's really hard. Um, but I was like, I'll pay for it, you know, take it out of my paycheck. I don't care. I'm so sorry. And he's really good about it. He doesn't get too annoyed with me, but I can tell sometimes, you know, if I do mess up, he does get a little, a little annoyed because he's not used to it. So he's like, well, what is this? What are you doing right now? Um, but I do always make sure that I own up to it right away. Like I messed up. We need to fix this. Yeah. It's the only way to deal with that. (laughs) Exactly. Head on as scary as it is. You'll, yeah. I talked to my boyfriend about it before sometimes and I'm like, I feel like I'm going to (laughs) puke, but I got to get through it. So last question, if you could go back in time and visit yourself at any age and give yourself some advice, what would you say? That is a question that I truly think about all the time. Um, I would go back to myself at 15 and I would tell myself, and it doesn't even have anything to do with my career or uh, anything like that. I would tell myself that you do not need a man's attention. You do not need to find love in these meaningless ways and you don't need validation from them and you are enough. (laughs) That is what I would tell myself and just that it gets better and high school ends eventually. That's what I would tell myself. You won't think about them in five years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's crazy though, because I still, I still do. I, as far as not so much them as the person, it's more so how I was myself with them and how I felt like I needed them to love me. And I like to be totally transparent. It, I wanted affection so bad that it was like, I would let them convince me that like, having sex was like the right thing to do like that would get them to love me and that is so sad and fucked up to say but man if I could go back in time I'd probably would have not had sex until I was in my 20s because man wasted too much time man high school is hard to navigate it is just a hard time you can say that again I think whether or not people will admit it a lot of people probably had that similar experience and talking about it I feel like just kind of does away with so much of the shame because so much of that is just that it's a secret and when you're just like yeah this happened I really wish it didn't but I learned and look who I am now that's that is a whole confidence flex right there (laughs) well I mean and it's so uh people look down on it like you know if a woman a woman is sleeping with a lot of men like she's a slut she's a whore and granted yes I was very young I should not I had no business doing that at that age but when you are craving affection so bad and you feel that's the way that you're gonna get it then yeah you're gonna keep doing that again and I there was a lot of time I was very ashamed of that but it taught me a lot so I made a lot of mistakes and I am where I am now because of all of them. So, well, and it's beautiful. I'm glad that you're, I'm glad you're so open and talking about all these things and it's going to help so many people that are listening. And, um, we just really appreciate you being here and sharing all this. Thank you for having me. It felt really good to be so open. Honestly, I don't think I've ever really shared my story with anyone besides my closest friends. So I kind of hope that, 
you know, some people in my life even listen to this and are like, wow, I had no idea that that was happening or she was experiencing that. And maybe it'll help them talk to somebody else about what they're feeling. So I really appreciate this. To stay up to date on all things The Table on social media, join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at sign the table women. Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeForest, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth, and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any creatives, music, television, etc. referenced in this episode in the episode notes. We'll see you next time on the, the table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop you.